You are Locked On Rays, your daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, my name is Kevin Weiss, alongside Ulysses Sembrano, and we're the host of Locked On Rays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can subscribe to Locked On Rays on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and online at fanstreamsports.com. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play Locked On Rays, and be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Rays. As a reminder, check out our brand new Patreon page, patreon.com slash unfiltered. On today's show, we are again joined by Aram Layton, who is the host of Locked On MLB Prospects and Locked On Marlins. Today, he'll break down the best and worst farm systems in all of baseball, including your Tampa Bay Rays. He also gets into some of his favorite prospects from around the game, minor league realignment, the future of the MLB draft, and much, much more. Hope you enjoy. Aram, speaking of the Rays, of course, uh, looking at their system as a whole, and you look at a lot of the, the baseball websites out there, they, they widely view the Rays as having the top farm system in all of baseball. Do you agree with that as, uh, assessment? Are they far and away the best system in all of baseball right now, or are there some other uh, organizations kind of creeping up on that mark, perhaps the the San Diego Padres, the Dodgers, your Miami Marlins, so on and so forth. Like, how good is this Rays farm system as it's currently set in your opinion? Yeah, you know, I think there was definitely a case to be made with the Padres before they unloaded some of their prospects, you know, to go get some of these players that they went and got with Clevenger and, you know, with Mitch Moreland and, and a few other guys. That kind of put the Rays alone at the top in my opinion but you know there's time for some of these teams now to catch up I think the Rays right now as it stands are are the best in terms of prospects Uh, I think especially if you see Brent Honeywell who I think is the longest tenured top prospect ever um, you know which is just a crazy story and at the end of the day Honeywell is is really talented if he is back and and what we always thought he could be. And also to answer your question too, you know, Seth Johnson is a prospect. I really, really like the Rays have a few of these jump pad type of guys that I think could really emerge this year and, and make their system far and away the best right now, as it stands, it's the best. And I think they have some high ceiling options. Seth Johnson, I really was 40th overall pick in 2019. He came from shortstop to starting pitcher and just shot up, on the radar gun, 93 to 95 topped at 98. He's still learning how to pitch and developing uh, his secondary stuff, but there's been a very good track record of shortstops in college who move to the mound and end up being studs, i.e. Jacob deGrom. But there's been some other guys that have done that, that have been prospects I really like. And uh, it just comes with not a lot of miles on the arm and ultimately just a late bloomer type of profile that you can get excited about. I also really like Nick, Nick Bitsko and JJ Gross, two other arms that I will bet on the raise, you know, being able to develop. And I think any of those three guys could easily enter the top 100 list uh, by, by mid season this year, or by the end of the year. And that's why the race system is always so exciting is they have all of these guys that are, are very interesting and have a chance to, to jump quickly. Even the two other throw-ins in that Rangers trade, 
when I'm going to probably butcher both of their names, honestly, uh, but Alexander Ovalis and let me try this one. Olsavis Basabe. I, I, I don't even get the pronouncers because <laughs> I, I got to practice, but the uh, I, I've watched plenty of video, not enough pronouncers, but both guys that are projectable and have mashed as teenagers in the lower levels. So you, you just never know what, what the Rays are going to have just pop out of nowhere. And that's what I think the system will end up going across and taking that next step, which it's already at the top in my opinion, and has a chance to get even better. See, there's some names to watch out for besides Wander, Seth Johnson, perhaps <laughs> yeah. JJ Goss, some other ones in there as well. Uh, Aaron, I, I always like to do kind of best and worst. Of course, we talk about the Rays being up there at the top, but what farm system out there is just absolutely dreadful, just terrible, just <laughs> near the bottom, just has nobody, no, no chance. And uh, you know, is it the Brewers, the Nationals, some other team? I, I look at the rankings here, and those are some of the teams I'm I'm seeing. But but what's your assessment on that? That's a fun question. I would say <laughs> the the Brewers, man. I, I really struggle to, you know, when I, I do my my farm system breakdowns, right? And I I go through. I'm trying to go through all 30 teams. I did the Rays already. That was a blast. You know, they've done a few teams that have been a ton of fun. And like, I was just thinking about that today. Ironically, was, what am I going to talk about when I get to the Brewers? You know, Garrett <laughs> Mitchell and then what? You know, and that, that's the crazy thing is there's some teams that are just would would be thrilled with a tenth of the talent that the Rays have. And the Brewers, the Rangers, honestly, I, the Rangers system makes me very sad. Um, it, it, those two teams, I'd say Brewers Rangers are scraping <laughs> at the bottom of the barrel uh, and the Rangers just got worse. So I, I just don't, right. I don't get it. Sometimes I think they're trying to to put lipstick on a pig with their major league team, but they gave up some talent there. And, you know, I, I think the, the Brewers and the Rangers have a lot of work to do. They're not that great at the major league level and their systems are, are not even close to the middle of the pack. And, and that's probably the answer to that question. Wow. Very good. And as far as non-raised players, non-raised prospects in the game right now, do you have a couple favorites or a favorite that really stands out to you? Maybe non-Marlins as well, because we know you might be a little bit uh, biased <laughs> with, uh, with the Miami Marlins, but that's okay. It's, it's up to you. It's, it's your call. Some of your favorite, favorite prospects, not in the Tampa Bay Rays org. That's funny, actually, because I feel like I'm either biased or too harsh, and I get both from uh, Marlins fans. And, and Jesus <laughs> Sanchez is an example, by the way, of somebody that, you know, I, I, I was excited about. And then, you know, he's just had some issues with his swing, and I think he's going to figure it out. But there's definitely some volatility there. Uh, as for just who I like uh, in, in the minor leagues right now, uh, two guys that I'm very, very excited to watch this year on the high end of things. Julio Rodriguez with the Mariners. I think that this guy is as close to uh, the hit tool of a Wander Franco as you're going to find with the combination of power and just pure ability to hit. He, he's obviously not going to be an 80 grade hit tool guy, but I think he's a 60 60 type of player, which is very rare. And uh, I think he has, he could push 65 70 grade hit tool with what I've seen from him. And his numbers are rivaling Wander Franco as a teenager in the lower levels, CJ Abrams, also another player. I really like a freak athlete, somewhat of the uh, mold of the middle infielders that I was talking about, like Xavier Edwards, except imagine even faster and a little bit more ability to hit for power and probably a better defender at shortstop. That's what I love about Abrams. And he's made some adjustments at the plate that I really like. He's driving the ball with more authority. He's an 80 grade runner, might be one of the fastest, if not the fastest runners in all of the minor leagues. 
I'm very excited about him and, and he can play center field too. Those two guys I'm very eager about. And then a little Easter egg of somebody that I think is going to jump onto the radar and is one of my favorite underrated prospects is Tanaj Thomas of the Pirates. He is a shortstop that was moved to pitcher, uh, signed out of the Bahamas and throws triple digits, no problem, nasty slider, trying to find that third pitch. And I think a lot of people are going to get to know Tanaj Thomas very soon. Interesting. And, and changing gears here just a little bit, but still tying into the prospect realm. Uh, MLB, of course, uh, announced their minor, uh, minor league realignment plan. Uh, talk about putting lipstick on a pig. That's a way to, to label it and classify oh, yeah. realignment in terms of uh, cutting minor league teams and so forth. Uh, what do you think the, the impact of all of this and, and losing so many uh, minor league organizations out there and basically teams just having, okay, you have uh, low A, high A, single A, triple A, and then the majors. Just what's your take on, on this whole matter? You know, it's, it's tough because I think from, from what I've heard uh, from some people in the industry and, and some people within teams and organizations, they told me, you know, we were, the, the larger market teams were very against the idea early on. And uh, even teams like the Rays, where you see so much talent cultivated through the rookie levels, uh, of course, it costs more money, but that's where the Rays are happy, I feel like, to invest some of that money. Uh, that's where, you know, COVID comes along. All of a sudden, you're looking to cut costs, and all of a sudden, that that idea of Rob Manfred's is uh, you have a little bit less uh you know, to play with when you're trying to fight back against it. And at some points, you know, when you're looking at the money, it ultimately might end up making more sense to you. And that, I think that's what really pushed it across is it became the perfect platform for Rob Manfred to push across what was something he always wanted to do. It was part of that one baseball vision. I, I think ultimately, you know, you, it's, it's difficult. I, I'm not happy about it as somebody that loves minor league baseball. There's so many towns that pumped tens of millions of dollars into their stadiums of taxpayer money. And I think major league baseball tried to kind of come and say, it's no different. You're still going to be seeing young players that are playing ball and that you're, it's going to be a high level of talent every day, but it, it is different. It is different. There's a big difference between a 19 year old at Vanderbilt uh, and, and, you know, a 19 year old in rookie ball. And there's the reason is that they were picked up by a professional team. Well, could some of those guys play pro ball? Absolutely. But also you got, there's a lot of moving parts and I actually recorded a whole podcast on this because their leagues as sort of the lipstick on the pig, those kind of consolation prize leagues are not going to be that successful. In my opinion, the, the draft league, I think is something that most of the top level prospects out of college are not going to be going to. They're going to get the high level high school guys and the under the radar college guys. And if you're an under the radar college guy striking out a high schooler, is that really going to help your draft stock? And then the wood bat league, the Appalachian league, that's to me, it's all right, but it's not going to beat the Cape Cod league. It's just another of the 20, summer wood bat leagues that we have and sure it'll probably be right there with the Cape Cod league, but at the end of the day, nothing beats the Cape and it's for underclassmen, but the most talented underclassmen still go to the Cape. It's not just for the juniors. So it's to me just a very, very lame consolation prize and it's disappointing. But at the end of the day, I guess I'm happy that not all of those organizations had to board up the windows and, you know, call it a day, but it is unfortunate. And I think baseball made a big mistake here because a big part of growing the game is, you know, getting the fans in the grassroots there and Marlins have fans out in Iowa. They don't even have enough fans down here. You know, that's just an example of how you can get people to latch on in all parts of the country when they start to, you know, enjoy the affiliation to the major leagues. 
Betting on the MLB doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smartest possible wagers you can. Subscribe to the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get podcasts. All right, Aram, and, and kind of tied into that last answer you made, what is that and how does that speak to the future of the MLB draft, in your opinion? Of course, this was a, a pretty wonky year with the draft being consolidated to five rounds from the normal 40. Do you see this being a scenario where MLB looks at the draft and says, no, it's going to be 15 rounds or 20 rounds or 25 rounds? How do you see the draft shaking out going forward with all this realignment and how it's all tied in together? It's a great question as well. And, and, you know, the, the I think this is step one to the ultimate cutting of the, of the draft, right? Because five rounds, of course, it'll never be cut to that. But as you mentioned, maybe 20 rounds, 25 rounds, it, it'll definitely be cut. Uh, it's a more of a matter of how much and when uh, at this point, because, especially without the lower level minor leagues now and, and all of those factors, there's definitely not going to be as many rounds. And, you know, I, I've always felt that maybe 40 rounds is a bit excessive, you know, when we're drafting Johnny Manziel and when we're drafting Ken Griffey's son who hasn't picked up a bat in 15 years, then maybe we do have too many picks in these drafts. But at the end of the day, there's also so much undrafted talent that it, it's almost confusing. But I think if you cut the draft – those undrafted guys will still get picked up. When I was in the Cape Cod League, for example, there was a pitcher that was just utterly dominant from Georgia Southern, Joe Nahas, and he was picked up for the undrafted free agent maximum, which was $125,000. This was like three months after the draft. So there's always going to be guys like that, whether the draft is 20 rounds or 40 rounds. Uh, so I think that at the end of the day, teams are still going to pick up some of those under the radar guys. But I think it's inevitable that the draft will be cut uh, by at least a handful of rounds. And it's unfortunate, but it's, it's just something that we kind of knew was coming. You know, that's interesting that you say that because uh, two names popped up in in my head as a race fan, Mike Brasso and Kevin Kiermaier. I mean, if, if, if a draft is cut to like, you know, 20 rounds, uh, yeah, they have the, the chance to maybe sign uh, undrafted, but there's also the chance that guys with their talents would be missed out on, on a major Absolutely. league roster. Absolutely. A lot more talent will be, will be missed out on. And that's just, I think the price that teams are willing to pay. Ironically, it's the opposite because they're saving money and that's ultimately what it's all about. And they're going to save quite a bit of money in the draft. I will say this, if, if it does mean that college seniors will not continue to be exploited. And by that, I mean, it, we see it so frequently with the draft bonus pool, right? It's like you have the ability to allocate that pool however you want. And a very smart way of doing it is to draft a senior you like and if they're fourth, fifth round type of guy, and the Marlins just did it with J.D. Orr in the sixth round, who stole 40 bags and hit like 330 his first year in low A ball, and they just said 2,000, what else are you going to do? And you, you got to take it. Or, or, or another team will offer you six, and then you got to take that. But at the end of the day, it's what else are you going to do? You're a senior in college. You're going to take what you can get, and that's that. And that's where the system, I think, is very flawed. And for so many of these guys, it's not fair to them because 
there's nothing guaranteed, right? And what do you have to show for the fact that you were drafted in the first 10 rounds, $2,000 or $10,000, and then you get released and that's it. And even though you were one of the best, you know, several hundred players in the world, I guess, that were draft eligible that year, you have nothing to show for it. You know, that's very disappointing. And I actually wrote a a story on Jack Lebowski, who is a a pitcher in the Ray system uh, that I actually think is, is a potential bullpen piece. He was really good at Duke, a two-way player, and he was a senior. He had student loan debt. He had a lot of, uh, you know, he, he had to pay tuition because it was Duke. And at Duke, you don't get a full scholarship. You don't get full scholarships for baseball anywhere because they only get 12 or 11.7 per team, whatever it is. And he used his $2,000 from his signing bonus, bought a school bus and turned it into an RV and lived out of an RV uh, that was a school bus. And that's how he saved his money because he crunched the numbers and he said, the money I'm going to be getting for rent with how much I eat, living with my girlfriend and fiance, uh, it's just not going to work. And so it was a fun project for him. But the fact that a a player has to do that is ridiculous. And if he got a $50,000 signing bonus, even he wouldn't have to. And while it was a cool story and I enjoyed writing it, it's unfortunate that that has to happen. 100% 100% agree with you. And, and, and I know that Kevin and I uh, spend a lot of time sometimes uh, highlighting MLB's, you know, errors. Uh, and, and this is definitely one of, uh, that goes into this bucket and the, the, the loose of my, of minor league. Cause I know you can, you guys have said it, put lipstick on a pig on, on the wording of a realignment, but it's, it's really just more like baseball's losing a lot of its, you know, identity with this. A hundred percent. And that's the disappointing thing is the small town minor league ball games. Yeah. That's some of my favorite memories is go traveling through the country. I would stop and go to a game or I was at sleep Lake camp and I'd go to a game in the middle of nowhere and just seeing the towns rally around it. Uh, that's what it's all about. And, and you don't know who you're going to see in that given day. You know, you don't know who the next star is going to be. That was what I loved about the Cape league. And it's even more so that in, in the minor leagues and, it's unfortunate to see that go and and we'll see what baseball ultimately decides to do, but it does seem like as of late, they've made just about every decision that you wouldn't want them to make. And uh, again, with the DH now too, that'll be an entirely different tangent. We could go down, but (laughs) expecting teams to be able to make roster decisions without knowing whether there's going to be a DH or not. is just patently absurd. Yeah. It's right. It's right on MLB brand. Excuse me, Kevin. No, you're good. I was just going to try to tie that in. You know, Aram, you've been around the block a little bit, traveling quite a bit and going to all these minor league ballparks. Do you have a favorite or a, uh, yeah, just a favorite spot that you like to go to? I, I, I will say I'm, uh, I'm high on the, the Louisville bats and where they play. Cause that's where I, I grew up <laughs> and went to games there. But if, if you've got a different one, that, that's certainly okay. Uh, of course, whether it's triple a double a single a, whatever it may be. Yeah. I would love to go there. That is a very, very cool spot. I, I'm selfishly. I think that Pensacola and Jacksonville are very cool. Durham bulls. It's, it's obviously bull Durham. Yeah. There's so much around that, but also just such a cool stadium. It's, it's as close to a major league park as you're going to find. And I had a bunch of, I had some teammates in high school and some close friends that played at Duke and I went to go watch them because they play in that Durham Bowl stadium. And I was like, okay, I got to come back for a minor league game and packed to the brim 4,000 plus fans, 5,000 fans. It was a really cool environment. And 
in the middle of the town in Durham, you know, you could walk around, get a beer and then go to the game, get food. I loved Durham. I thought that was a cool spot. But if we go more country, I loved West Virginia. I thought you know, right, right just by Morgantown. And it was a very cool spot, the Black Bears. And ironically, one of the teams that got axed from their minor league affiliation, um, maybe they're a draft league team. I think they are. They're, they're an Appalachian league team, I think. So now they're a Wood Bat League. But yeah, they, that was a very cool spot, too. And I really enjoyed the environment in West Virginia. Yeah, the Princeton yes. Rays, they gone as well. Uh, Ulysses, I think we can't let Aram go without asking him about his beloved Marlin. So I know you've got a question or two. Yes, it'd be very rude. Very. It'd be very rude because he spent with us. Exactly. So no, no, please uh, let's 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 hit this because it's it's the big twenty twenty. You were talking earlier about fondest memories. Well, I'm sure twenty twenty gave you some fond memories from the from the Marlins club and what they had to overcome. Uh, I think. In all of baseball, if you if you ask for a team that exceeded expectations, it would be the Miami Marlins. Would you agree with that assessment? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought that they were going to be better, uh, which is better than a 100-loss team. I did not think they would be even in the realm of 500. And, you know, it was a weird year, but they definitely exceeded expectations in just about every stretch. Uh, Aram, I've got a couple rapid fire questions on the Marlins um, citrus series rivals, of course, if you want to call them that, but if you can answer <laughs> these, these questions in just a couple sentences or less or one word or less, whatever you think is fit. One, do you like Derek Jeter as owner? Yes. I, I think, you know, he got off to a little bit of a rocky start with what, what's happened, but the answer is yes, because you got to rebuild. You got to start from the bottom. If anybody knows that it, it's Rays fans and small market team, you got to build from the bottom. Marlins are doing that. Two, what is your true, honest opinion of now ousted David Sampson, who hosts a podcast that I actually really, really, really enjoy? But that aside, honest <laughs> thoughts on, on David Sampson. He sucks. Podcast is good. <laughs> okay, I can I can live with that one. I I yeah, I, I see what you're putting down there. Okay, um, how do you feel about the Kim Ang hiring? Fantastic, way overqualified for a first year GM. Mm, very good. And finally, uh, the Marlins added a former Rays farmhand Paul Campbell in the Rule Five. What are your viewpoints and thoughts on this addition? Was one of my number one targets for the Marlins uh, in this Rule Five draft. Does not get as much swing and miss as you'd like, but gets a lot of weak contact, a lot of weak fly balls, will bode well in a pitcher's park like Marlins Park, one of the best home run to fly ball rates in all of the minor leagues, and a very high spin rate that helps him get a lot of uh, misses under. And finally, when the Rays up and move to Montreal, should Ulysses and I (laughs) and every other Rays fan out there become Marlins bandwagon fans or just become Marlins fans forever and ever? So I'll say this: I, the Marlins were Marlins fans were definitely in your corner in the World Series. I, I could promise you that we were all rooting for you guys, and um, it, it was cool to see a small market team, you know, make it there and kind of see. Okay, the Marlins are kind of following that mold; they can they can make it. So the answer is yes. I think you guys should 100% root for the Marlins, but hold out some hope that something will happen down here. Uh, I remember 12 years old, 13 years old, checking every single day, the Sun Sentinel, uh, to see if any progress was made 
on uh, you know the stadium negotiations, and I remember them calling it dead in the water. And then, you know, it ended up working out and Jeffrey Loria was able to rob taxpayers with the help of Mr. Podcast, David Sampson. So I don't know if he has an episode on that one, but, you know, it, it worked out for Marlins fans. It did not work out for Miami taxpayers. I lived in Fort Lauderdale. So I, I guess I came out on top on that one. Very unfortunate, really, really just terrible uh, people when it comes to that kind of stuff. But they uh, they helped the Marlins stay in Miami. I'll say that. So what you're saying, should the Rays hire David Sampson to pull this thing <laughs> this off? Is, this is all I'm getting out of this. We should contact David Sampson's yes. podcast and say, hey, buddy, you got work to do in the 813. Come to Tampa. Hey, move out of the county. And then you're not hit with the taxes because <laughs> Miami's going to be paying that back for a long, long time. And uh, Loria cashed out on it. So, you know, I think David Sampson might be the answer. And, uh, you know, he, he has some great trades on his resume. He had Fernando Rodney. He, he got for Chris Paddock. That's it. Um, you know, some other really good trades. He got nothing from Miguel Cabrera. It goes on and on. I, I think you definitely want a guy like that calling the shots for you. And uh, he's definitely has the resume. We can't forget that Marlins Blue Jays trade that sent about like 20 players each way, seemingly. That was <laughs> that one wasn't that bad, to be honest, except they had the opportunity to pick between Noah Syndergaard and Justin Nicolino. And uh, naturally, David Sampson picked Justin Nicolino. Yeah. Right on. Oh, who can't again. forget Justin Nicolino, right? Future Hall <laughs> oh, of Famer. Legend. Very good. Legend. Uh, well, Aaron, this, this was great. We appreciate all your insight and time and answers. Um, is there anything you want to promote your, your Twitter account, websites, podcast, of course, uh, you have free reign to be able to do that. I appreciate that. Well, website in the works. Uh, very excited about that. I have not even made a formal announcement about that, but since you said website, I had to jump on it, but kind of conducive <laughs> to the podcast, a lot of top prospect rankings, a lot of uh, making baseball analytics simple. Uh, it'll be called Project the Plate. Should be out in the next month. Very excited about that. As for the podcast, I have second round pick of the San Francisco Giants, Casey Schmidt, on the podcast tomorrow. Uh, very excited about that one. And for race fans that may not have been aware of the podcast, it's locked on MLB prospects. I did a breakdown of the race system maybe about a month ago. So you can go back about a dozen episodes or two dozen episodes and you'll, you'll find it back there. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy the breakdown of the race system and some of the underrated prospects I mentioned today went to further in depth on those guys. So I appreciate the little plug here. Okay. We once again want to thank Aram Layton for joining us on the program for the past two episodes. Hope you enjoyed it. Some very insightful, knowledgeable and entertaining analysis on prospects, farm systems, and everything tied into that. That wraps up this edition of Locked on Rays. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked on Fantasy Baseball. Hope you all have a wonderful day. Stay safe and we'll talk to you tomorrow.